Hey everyone, it's Harry and welcome to another episode of A2Easy. This episode is a little different from our normal content. For starters, it's just me here. But this could be the beginning, if you guys find it useful, of a series where we are covering topics which don't really come up as often in medical school, at least by our experience, and ones that actually form the sort of bread and butter of F1. Today, we're talking about the patient journey in general, and particularly the post-tape ward round and how that whole thing works. Some of these exact details might vary between hospitals, but this is the rough framework, and it should be similar throughout the NHS. So to start, you need to get to hospital. No prizes here for knowing the vast majority of patients get admitted to hospital through attending A&E. Patients tend to end up here in a few common ways. One, they're brought in by an ambulance, often written as BIBA or BIBA on notes, for those of you who weren't sure what that meant. Those patients will have notes from the paramedic team, which are definitely worth reading, they will save your life and the patients, and will give you a heads up as to one, what the true percentage complaint is at the time, two, what the patient's living quarters are like, or where they were when they had their problem present, and three, also what has been done since the paramedics saw them, what medications have been given, and this will prevent you from giving duplicates of medications. Secondly, another way they might come in is via an urgent care centre or an NHS 111 referral. Urgent care centres will triage and try and make sure truly sick patients are seen in majors or resus if they walk in and actually it's clear they're much more unwell and they can't deal with them themselves. Then, at number three, there are those who just turn up themselves to ED, having not seen a health professional before or talked about it with anyone. Hopefully this encapsulates the mainly so-called walking wounded, young and otherwise healthy people who just have minor injuries and probably too much to drink on a Friday evening, but obviously this is not actually always the case. The role of the ED is firstly is triage. Triage patients into who need resuscitation, who have major health problems and who have minor ones. That determines whether they are in resus, majors or minors. For resus patients in particular, stabilising them and giving them any immediate life-saving treatment is critical. And by stabilising, I mean getting their blood pressure under control, making sure their obs aren't ridiculous and scary and that they are safe to move to another area of the hospital. This all needs to be magically done before the patient breaches. And the current standard for that is 95% of all patients attending an A&E department should spend no more than four hours before being either admitted, discharged or transferred to a hospital. That's what breaching means. The ED team, if you like, therefore, are the gatekeepers of secondary care. So the next question they have to ask themselves after having stabilised this patient is, do they need to be admitted? And if so, under who? That can be, for example, under the medics, under the surgeons or other teams like ONG and psychiatric teams, depending on what kind of hospital you have. The pathways are all slightly nuanced, but we're going to be talking mainly about the medical side and a little bit about the surgical side. The ED team in the medical case will call the med reg, who's running the take. The reg on the take gets a handover of the patient, and in the ideal times, there is a full ED clerking. However, when ED becomes ED, overloaded and chaotic, the ED team will rather understandably prioritise stabilising and triaging patients so they get sent to the correct team in a timely fashion. And the precise diagnosis, if you like, is kind of secondary to that. If you think of ED, therefore, as the jack of all trades, the role of the med reg is a senior medical specialist to look after the patient before they see a consultant and get them to that point, get them to the post-take ward round. Referrals to the med reg and other specialties aren't always accepted, as sometimes more details need to be sort of elucidated by the ED team, or there needs to be further management, acute management, stabilisation before they are stable to move to another place like the acute medical unit. 
The take itself is made up of different grades of junior doctors on the Gen Med rotor. So that's lots of different specialties. All the medical specialties will be on the Gen Med rotor when they're training, and you will form part of the clerking team depending on how your rotor is. It depends on the hospital, but typically the take team will also form part of the medical component of the cardiac arrest team, which is a whole separate topic for another day. Each medical patient, when accepted, has a full clerking by one of their team. It's a fresh set of eyes, and essentially what they do is what you were taught at medical school. They read their previous notes, take a history, examine, and generate a further management plan. And also, critically, they will prescribe their regular medications, assuming they're appropriate to be given to the patient at that time. For example, giving antihypertensive medications to a patient whose blood pressure is currently like 60 systolic is not a good idea. And at this point, once you've done the clerking, which can take quite a while, to be honest, this is where it starts to get complicated. The take style varies between whether it's day or night in most hospitals. Patients clerk during the day are typically post-take that day. That's where they're seen by an acute general medical consultant. And if it hasn't happened already, a diagnosis should be confirmed by the end of the post-take ward round. So when on the day take, you'll present to a consultant as you go along, and you sort of do that opportunistically, if you like. And at night time, the consultant of the day is on call, but the med reg is the, really the person running the take. And in real terms, that means you interact with the med reg slightly more, although they're always there to be helpful during the day, but they're obviously pretty busy. And at night, they're probably even busier, but you still need to bother them. And what you're doing there is you're presenting the patients to them, you're discussing your plan, and they will then be post-taked in the morning by a consultant. So the med reg and the takes team, if you like, at that point is to get them from that evening to the next morning where they can be seen by a consultant. The bit you might not have been told, or at least I wasn't really aware of before I became a doctor, is that when you are on the night shift and night shift on take, you will present your patients at the post-take ward round in the morning. And that doesn't sound that big of a deal until you realise you've probably been working for like 10 hours at night by this point. You're really sleep deprived. Every patient you saw probably had a left-sided pneumonia with a different curb score and a slightly different CRP that they want you to remember off the top of your head. And you just can't. And your brain's like melted. But that's fine. Everyone appreciates you're really tired and wants you better go home. The good thing about the post-date ward round is it does make you better as a doctor because you have real-time feedback from a consultant because you have to present your case pitch what you thought was right, pitch what you did and justify it, and you get feedback about whether that was the right or the wrong thing to do. Hopefully the right thing to do. The other thing to bear in mind is the post-date ward round can go on for quite a long time, and you do clock off and have to finish, because you probably have to be working there the next day. So most consultants are happy that once you've reached your hours of when you should be going home, that you should go home, because that way you can get home in good time and wake up the next morning. Well, evening, if you like. So let's regroup. Most patients come to the post-take ward round after a stint in ED, and that ED stint in theory should last less than four hours so they don't breach. Occasionally, patients will come from other places other than ED to the admitting team like the medics. The big example here is a GP referral. The logic here is that a GP is a senior clinician who has already triaged the patient when they've seen them if they think they need to come into hospital. So they can refer them directly to an admitting team without adding any extra pressure to ED, which is always a good thing. The important thing to bear in mind here is that whilst they might come into ED or come into the waiting room, they aren't on the ED list in the same way they normally are, and therefore you need to keep an extra eye out for them to make sure they are stable. Of course, do bear in mind the ED team are sensible and will hopefully let you know if there's something going wrong particularly. With surgical specialties, it's a bit more divided than the medical specialties. Each specialty in surgery will have a different registrar on call, and each of them will be accepting admissions for their specialty. 
this is different to the medics who essentially have one one specialty trainee who is the med reg for that day or that evening who will accept and run the take at the post take ward round that's where the consultant as i mentioned earlier decides the diagnosis they arrange a clear treatment plan but also critically where the patient will go after they've left the acute medical unit if that's where they currently are. They might be discharged, or they might be admitted further to an elderly care bed or in any medical ward, or maybe they need more treatment, or maybe they need a higher level of care, like a high dependency unit, or maybe they're even being referred to ITU at that point. In the case of medical patients, they will then depart from the acute medical unit, which, as you can imagine, is a place that's got a lot of high turnover, and generally most patients should leave the acute medical unit with around 48 hours or so, but that's very much a rule of thumb. There is a regular AMU ward round every morning, so that way patients who are there for longer than a day or two are seen regularly by a consultant. So let's say, for example, you're on the morning clerking shifts and you will post-take your patients as you're going along. You will then do those post-take jobs as they arise. And the interesting thing here is that actually the bed managers will often be quite hot on it. And when they realise a patient should go to a particular ward or a particular type of bed, when that space opens up, they will move them along. So that way to maintain the whole patient flow thing you've probably heard about. What that can effectively mean is after you've finished doing a, a bunch of post takes, your patients will actually have disappeared into another area of the hospital. The important thing here is that you should still be doing their jobs. As let's be honest, you're the one who's seen them that day. Sometimes the ward team, where they've been sent to, for example, will kindly pick up those jobs for you, but that really just sort of depends on who's busiest. Ultimately, the responsibility lies with the post-take team, is my opinion. And from a ward perspective, let's say you're on the other side of the equation, you just had someone turn up to your ward who the consultant that you know hasn't met and they haven't been part of the regular ward round. The best thing to do from your point of view, therefore, is to check their robs, have a look at the rough story so far, and check if there's any important jobs that haven't been done which should have been done by now. That includes things like antibiotics, urgent scans, anything that's going to make an acute difference to this patient. Then, when you have a moment, assuming you have a moment, pop over to see them for yourself and make sure that those post-take jobs have been done fully. That way it's not a problem for you tomorrow or for the on-cover team that evening. Technically, they're still part of the post-take team's responsibility, but... They are a patient on your ward, so if they become really sick or have a cardiac arrest, you will be the one dealing with that, okay? And it generally pays to get on top of things and be proactive. Moving back briefly to the situation where you're on a night clerking shift and the post-take happens during the day when you're sleep-deprived, there'll often normally be someone with you who will do those post-take jobs, which is what I've just mentioned earlier. So if you're on the day shift, um, you will post-take as you go along. If it's a night shift in the morning, another member of the team who's not on regular clerking but on AMU cover will come along and do the post-take ward round with you. And with that all in mind, let's say the patient's now ended up at a ward. The truth is you probably know the rest of the story at this point in time. We hope they'll make a good recovery, they'll see a regular consultant and eventually go home. And essentially that's the rough blueprint of a patient journey throughout an NHS hospital. And I hope you found that useful. Take care, guys.